Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The lockdown of the Belgian capital of Brussels, we wanted to talk about that yesterday and find out what it was like in Brussels when the police and the military shut down the city for several days over the highest level of warning of an imminent Paris-like terror attack. And my guest was there for the entire thing, uh, Kevin Cottam is Canadian. He's one of the world's elite Olympic and world champion figure skating choreographers. He choreographed uh, figure skating for Kurt Browning, for Christy Yamaguchi, Yuka Sato, and Elizabeth Manley, among others, and choreographed the closing ceremonies for the 1988 Olympic Games in Calgary, also the 2001 IAAF World Athletic Championships opening and closing ceremonies. And he's the founder and director of the National Ice Theatre of Canada, motivational speaker, Canadian performance mastery, international speaker, uh, facilitator and author, just go to kevincottam.com, K-E-V-I-N-C-O-T-T-A-M.com. So yesterday we tried to get through to Kevin, and we struggled with the phone lines. Now we're doing much better. Yesterday he was in Singapore, now he's in Bangkok, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning where you are, Kevin. Thank you so much for, for being so persevering with this. Uh, it's great to be here with you, Roy. Thank you very much also for putting up with the the time changes as well as as also the phone lines. Now, let, let me take you back to the uh, when you were in Brussels and things started to develop, and there had been the attack in Paris. And uh, what was the impact of the Paris attack on the people of Brussels? And was there an inkling early on that there may be a connection between Paris and the Belgian capital? Well, I think the question is a broad question, and there's a variety of answers in that. And I think that um, personally, uh, because I work at the European Union, there is always an alert, and there's always a, it, there has been a yellow sign of, um, on on effect for many of the buildings. And but I was in London during the Paris attack, and London that weekend was a business as usual, pretty much. And then I went back to. Brussels, and of course, in Brussels, there was a huge amount of uproar in the papers, and Molenbeek became the big scene and big uh, thought as to what's going on there with all the jihadists. And there are a fair amount of jihadists which live in Molenbeek, and there's a lot of people that are not, and that is the challenge about all of the areas. And do the people do the people of Brussels know this? Yes, I would say the people of Brussels know this. Um, it's really put under the table a lot um, and it's not really talked about very much and which is often the problem of the government of, of Brussels and, and Belgium itself because it is so diverse in a sense and, uh, and I think that's one of the challenges with it and so consequently once that week happened there was yes we had heard a variety of uh, attacks which were through police raids uh, firing of guns going off and some explosions had been during the, that following week. And then it wasn't until a week later uh, that the lockdown happened. And Brussels is a bit of a haven, unfortunately, for jihadis. And it's not just Molenbeek, but there's other, another area called Vivorde is also, and there's a few others that have a challenge with this. So it might have been, Kevin, there might have been some, it might have been predictable that something was going to develop in Brussels. And was there not some interplay between 
not necessarily pleasant interplay between the government of France and the government of Belgium. Yes, there was. There was a fair amount of blaming going on of the French blaming the security systems of Belgium, and that's probably a reasonable uh, blame in some ways because you have to understand that there are, for example, three communes, community commissions which are dealing with the task of uh, preventing radicalization in the area of Brussels alone. But there are also six police forces in Brussels, which don't really connect to each other. So a lot of the challenges is, is this discussion and conversation and communication amongst the, a variety of um, government and institutional um, challenges and imbroglio, really. And so I, I think that there's definitely the problem. And they wanted to say, no, 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 we're, we've got you know, a great security system, but this is not true, that it's not as broad, of course, as France or England or wherever. Uh, it's a small country. But there have been challenges. And uh, so the whole week was really kind of a crazy week, but, um, and we were feeling it, but we didn't really realize until the weekend, the last, the weekend after. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. We have the international leaders in Paris now for the climate mm -hmm. conference, which has people legitimately concerned, and I'm sure security is at its highest possible level. But when, while you were in Brussels, what were the first actions that took place in the city that you were aware of which were related to locating and pursuing possible terrorists? And when did that take place? Well, I mean, they started right away, you know, uh, and we were told not an awful lot, just that they were doing a lot of raids and they were collecting, you know, arresting people, and we had heard those particular things, and they were, um, and that was all during the week. And there was, of course, this whole political battle between France and, uh, and Belgium on that scene. But we didn't hear much else, just that they were on top of it, so to speak, and for everybody to go about their business until, I guess, they had really some uh, a real threat, uh, imminent threats, because they were finding a variety of weaponry. They found a lot, didn't and, they? Pardon? They found a lot. Yes, they found an awful lot. In fact, one of the challenges in Belgium is, is that there's a very uh, lax law with regards to weapons. Uh, from what we're finding out now, um, not many people knew that, and so a lot of the weapons come from there. So how did things change? Out. How did things change for the people of Brussels and for, and for you? Because you know you've got the city is, is in lockdown. We heard that shopping centers were closed, that the subway was was shut down. Um, life changed. They were asked to not go out on the street. There were police and military in in, in large numbers. How does that affect you? As you? I mean, as you look out your window and you see what's going on that's not normal, what, is, what does that do to you psychologically after you know what's happened in Paris? Well, I think that you do have an awful lot of fear, and that's the exact thing that ISIS, ISIS wants everybody to be in is fear. And so the consequence is, is that once you're in fear, then you're afraid to do anything and go anywhere, and you're paralyzed to a certain degree if you allow that. Right. The French have this way of going, no, 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 forget it. We're going to stand up, and we're not going to be afraid. You're not going to tell us what to do. Uh, the Belgians uh, pretty much, you know, shied away from not going out. There was it was very eerie and very spooky when I went into the town on the weekend uh, of the lockdown because I was curious. I was very curious what was going on, and I must say that uh, 
it was it was dark. The shops, a lot of the shops were closed. Some of them I've never seen boarded up and totally boarded up. Um, lights on the outside of restaurants or or even shops were turned off so that they couldn't be seen if the other people were inside. Uh, it was very strange. It was very weird and eerie, and there was hardly anyone on the street. And I went in to a shop, and uh, I stayed there for a little bit. And then I came out, and all of a sudden there was police locked off all the streets. There was military everywhere, and I thought, oh, my God, something's coming down here. What's going on? So I thought I'd better get out of there. So I went one direction, and I saw a policeman, you know, um, talking to a guy that probably looked Moroccan to him, and um, was. So I thought, well, he's pushing him around a little bit. So I think I better move away from here. And so eventually, I just walked a long way away, away. But there was um, to get my transportation back home. But it was really eerie because it was so dark, so quiet. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm just thinking here. about if, I'm thinking about what what, uh, what what comparison there might be. You know, it would be like if you're in in a city. Uh, Paris is what about two hours, three hours away from Brussels. Uh, one and a half. Point. One and a half. So so very close. And and now if if something as horrific happens in a city so close to you, and then your city's in lockdown, what you're experiencing and what your fears are. Uh, have to be just absolutely um, uh, multiplied uh, incredibly. We have to take a break. We'll come back and we'll speak some more with Kevin Cottom sure. about what happened in Brussels and and, and what the feeling was and um, what they experienced during that terror lockdown that went on for days. Stay with us on The Green Show on the Corliss Radio Network. Kevin Cottom is with me, and uh, he was in Brussels, Belgium, during the lockdown, the terror lockdown, in the days following what happened in Paris, we have the world's leaders in Paris for the United Nations Climate Change Conference now, so security would be at its highest level. What was it, uh, Kevin, when you uh, when you were moving around, you said you, you went out and you went different places. As you were moving about in the city of Brussels, with all the concern that was going on with police and, as you said, military in the streets, and you work with the, with the European Union, what's it like? I mean, I'm just trying to think of the, the normal things people do, entering, walking into a building. Did that change? Were, were people, at the, were, were cops at the door or the police at the door checking you out before they let you in? Well, in the European uh, center, the community, um, you have the military there uh, in front of most of the, the doors anyway today, and that has been for the last couple of years, really. And, of course, some of the uh, buildings, um, they close the main doors, and you have to go in through other doors. So, for example, when I was uh, at the European uh, External Action Service, which is like foreign affairs, and the, the, the main doors were closed, I had to go into the side doors, but everything was uh, business as usual. People were going about their business, and, and you know, there was just definitely a, a different sighting of lots of military wandering the streets and the, the areas of the council and the commission and, and the parliament. And uh, parliament was completely, you know, had a lot of uh, police in that whole area. So were people were people uh, uh, afraid? Did you get a sense there was a, a, a permeating sense of fear in the city, or a sense of trepidation, or or did people reach just reach down and try to be themselves? I'm I'm going back to when I was a kid in in Montreal during the FLQ uh, terror crisis, and and life uh, generally continued fairly normally in Montreal, even though there were significant numbers of bombings taking place over a period of time. All right. 
I think that people went about their lives because they had to, you know, they, um, work is work, and they were getting on. But you could sense that there was, my feeling was, and that's what I sensed, was that there was this uh, strange calm amongst the people. I'm not sure, you know, people were looking around at each other and wondering what's in that bag, and and you could see that people were looking at, sadly, at a lot of, um, North African people and looking at them and wondering what's going on and uh, and which is a sad thing of almost racial profiling in many ways but there's this gut reaction um, what happened in Molenbeek was the major many many people went out in the uh, the, the commune to the Hotel de Ville which is the parliament there and they they congregated and lit candles for the the dead, and and it was led by the brother of one of the ones that is still on the loose, and so they wanted to let people know, look, we're not all like that, and in fact, it's, it's just a few people. Uh, it's just a it's a challenge in in Brussels and Belgium because they have allowed this to grow. Uh, they used to have Sharia for Belgium, and the, finally the guy was put in jail. Um, you had in Molenbeek a mayor, from what I understand, that allowed the uh, extremism to be said in a variety of mosques because he wanted votes. And so there's a, these things that have been going on for a long time, and they put it under the table and, and try not to focus on it, on, at least on the public. Can way. they change now? Can they have they gotten it under? Have they, have they changed things? Have they got the situation under under control, or is there still a concern? That well, uh, our same level of concern they might have been two weeks ago. I think there's always going to be concern because they have to change the system yeah. of the way they do things, and they have to change. And for example, Paris, with all the millions of people in it, that have one police force. Right, you got six uh, in Brussels. Belgium. Six, you have in, in Belgium. Well, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, but it's because of all of these pieces of government. I mean, you don't know. I mean, if. You read how much government there is. There's three regional governments, there's two regional governments, three community commissions, 19 communes, six police forces, one federal government, and two provincial... And this is in a city of a million people. That's the city of Belgium. I want to ask you this. We have about a minute and a half left. Uh, There's a lot of controversy and a lot of talk about Syrian uh, refugee claimants in North America. In the United States, it's a big issue, about 10,000. In Canada, there were concerns about 25,000. Oh, we've seen the uh, massive numbers of refugee claimants streaming into Europe. Has that changed how um, Europeans? You, you talked about people looking at North North, North Moroccans. I think you said um, a lot of Moroccans. Is there is there a change among Europeans about how they see people from the Middle East or newcomers or, or refugee claimants? Is is there pushback? Is there anything that you can you can you can evidently see? Well, I think the pushback was coming on an ongoing basis, right? If you could see from Hungary and from uh, Croatia and from Slovenia and uh, and now Macedonia and a variety of places. And I think that there's a pushback coming, but now this just stimulated it even further. And, And the sad thing about it is most of those people are fleeing the danger. They are not Jihadi. Kevin, I have to jump in. Very few. I have to jump in because the clock got us. But I thank you so much for the time. And again, thank you for the perseverance, staying with it yesterday and then uh, middle of the night for you now in Bangkok. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Thanks.
Thanks, Roy. All the best. I did it myself. Kevin Cottom, and it's kevincottom.com is the website. When we come back, it's quite an experience, huh? I mean, imagine being in a city that's locked down with that level of terror threat after what happened in Paris. To experience that, 